Well, good evening, Mosaic. Whether you are joining us here in this room or you are joining us online, we would love for you to stand and sing and worship our worthy Father tonight. is holding on 
Glad to see you all tonight and glad to be joined by those at, at home as well. Uh, my name is Matt and I work with the elementary kiddos here. And uh, if this is your first time, I, I, I hope that you uh, will let us know uh, uh, through these uh, various venues, uh, but get connected with us. We want to know you're here. We want to be able to answer questions you might have, uh, help you figure out how to, to forge uh, relationships right now in this time. So um, a couple things, though, to, uh, to, to make you aware of, put on your calendar. The first one is in about a week and a half, Street Fest is happening. And Street Fest is typically a get a lot of people in a tiny area, get silly looking and breathe on each other and eat a lot of food together. So obviously, we've had to make some pivots, and, and so we're going to be doing a drive-through event. It'll be pretty fun. Uh, show up in your car, line up in the queue. We'll play about 20 different games and activities, plenty of candy, really fun time. Uh, let us know, though, that you'll be there so that we can make sure we got uh, enough supplies for you. You can sign up on the website, register, and just give us a heads up that you're coming. So that's the first. The second is a special announcement for this evening. Um, we made it last week. It's gone out on email. So if this is a surprise to you tonight, it means you're not in our, our channels of communication. You're not getting emails. You're not getting, getting on social. So let us know those things. We want to make sure you're getting the information. But tonight, uh, basically for the next five minutes after I'm done talking during the next song, is a safe transition time for your family because the text we're going to look at tonight is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And while it is not a, a, a bad context or anything like that, that, it is going to be a frank conversation about the content of those passages. And, and, uh, and so we just were aware that with kids in the room, you might like an alternative uh, for your family. And so uh, when I uh, leave this stage, you're welcome to stand your family up. Uh, probably means you're going to need to put shoes on and all that kind of stuff again uh, because it's kiddos. I had that on and that I didn't even realize it. Um, sorry. Uh, but uh, I was gasping as I was breathing through it, yelling louder and louder in the microphone. Anyway, uh, so if you would like to, by, by all means, if you don't want to go and you feel comfortable covering it, uh, Newman's not going to be crude or profane, but he is going to talk about the world as it is right now. And so I, I just wanted you guys to have a heads up. Uh, but you will be uh, free to join us over there, and, uh, and we're going to look at uh, what it looks like to love God with your body. Same text, same passage, uh, just uh, altered a little bit for that. So um, I would love to, though, uh, pray.
pray over uh, the rest of the evening, both that service, this service uh, alike. And so would you join me? Lord, thank you uh, for your text. Thanks for uh, the verses of Scripture that uh, just make us realize that uh, Christ took on flesh, uh, took on these bodies like we have, and, uh, and so they're not weird or bad or wrong, but they are a new thing, and, and we want to know what it looks like to live incarnationally, be in our flesh, in our bodies, loving you and loving others well. And so help us know how to do that uh, as we uh, gather tonight and then as we scatter all over Northwest Arkansas. Uh, we love you, and we're grateful for uh, just the grace extended to us by that incarnated Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So seriously, don't be bashful. Now's the time. Hump up, head across if you, if you want to go over and experience that service. Hey, as we, as we continue in our worship, I wanted to bring this, um, this passage from Micah up for, for us to look at. Um, Eugene Peterson, man, uh, sometimes he gets some flack, but he's, he's uh, quite the theologian. And uh, the way that he, he explains or kind of interprets in the message, um, this passage, I just, I just love. He says, where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt, turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people. That's scandalous. You don't nurse your anger and you don't stay angry long for mercy is your specialty. Mercy is his specialty. If you're anything like me, I really enjoy receiving mercy and it's really hard to give mercy sometimes. But it's, it says this is God's specialty. This is what he delights in is giving mercy for all the past sins and purging us, his precious people. This is really good news for us tonight. That's what you love most, it says. And compassion is on its way to us. I love that. Would you stand with me and let's rejoice in a merciful God together. Let's rejoice. Sing with me. And praise the Lord, His mercy. Is my 
with us. Thank you for your spirit that would teach us. God, help us to just be open to you tonight, that you would speak and we would receive and be formed by all that you would speak into our lives. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, that sounded like Darth Vader, didn't it? Hi. I've learned something about these masks. I just learned it now. Has anybody tried doing a, uh, a, a little cough medicine or a cough, uh, what do you call them, cough drop underneath while the mask is on? It's almost as if you put menthol in a super soaker and direct it right into your eyes. So while, yes, I'm emotional, it's really the cough drop speaking right now. So, hey, we are glad you're here. What a privilege, what a joy. Um, this is going to be a special night. I'm hopeful, I'm prayerful. 
uh, that God would do sweet things. I want you to picture something with me. Picture that you are sitting in the downstairs or the basement of a room with a small group of people. Small group of people, a little house church that 12 months earlier, you could describe them as in very bad shape. It'd be normal for this group. In the city that they live, the city of Thessalonica, the religious, the faithful, the, those that did it right, would weekly go to the temple to have sex with the temple prostitutes. It was common for a husband to have slaves in which they had sexual rights over. A concubine whose only job for the leader of the house was sexual gratification. And then a wife whose sole purpose was to care for the house and to provide legitimate heirs. And in this little house church, gathered together, the elder or leader looks face to face, eye to eye, over confused and hurting faces, seeing both oppressed and oppressor, seeing in the same room both slave and slave owners, seeing prostitutes and seeing pimps. To open this letter from his good friend Paul and to hear these words read. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger. In all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, picture something else. Picture that you're gathered in a room. Only eight months earlier, everything appeared normal. Yet after a tsunami of soul exposure, you're humbled to the realization point that sitting in the room amongst you right now is the hurting, is the fractured, is the lonely. Men, women, and children numbed to their daily dopamine hits, tethered to the triple X theater that's burning alive in their pockets. Friends that are silently battling same-sex attraction, desperate for a gracious and hopeful way. Married couples that sex has gone from wonder to a box to check. 
Victims who recently have been treated as objects. Families that have been traumatized by human trafficking. And those so hopeless of finishing well that they simply surrender, making themselves sexually available to anyone or anything who will just make them feel wanted. And you're in that place and you hear these words read. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We don't have to imagine long that that is our normal. That is the space that we sit in, isn't it? Chapter 4, if you've been here for the last few weeks as we've been journeying through 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4 is a turning point. And the hint is the first words, finally then. Don't be mistaken, it's not this optimistic hope of a preacher who's finally beginning his closing discourse. No, it's not that. There's still two chapters left of the letter. He's making a turn. You see, we've been in this place, last week we described it, the unstoppable gospel that changes everything from chapter one. It changes us into the kind of people that the gospel will ring forth in the corners of culture. Chapter two, that we're welcomed in, invited, and modeled to what a disciple maker looks like. Like a mother, like a father with their children. Chapter 3, the promise, an example of reconciliation unfolding all the way to eternity. Well, there'll be a day where we see those that we've invested our lives into who have believed and confessed in Christ with us. All of these things that we've been given as promises, facts, or indicatives of life in Christ. And chapter 4 is going to turn a corner. And we're going to shift from the indicatives or the facts to the imperatives, the commands. And we'll spend chapter four addressing three main areas within Christian ethics. How do you actually do this Christian thing? How do you live it out? We'll see verse one through eight as we talk about our sexuality. Next week, verses nine through 12 as we talk about brotherly love. And then we'll conclude in verse 13 to the end. How do you die well? And I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful that Paul is literal, he's blunt, he's encouraging. And if there's an outlining sentence, it might be this, that he tells us what, he clarifies how, and he warns us when. Just in case you're writing things down. He tells us what, he clarifies how, He warns us when. And tonight, I I don't want to give a lot of my opinion. In fact, I just want to give you the 10 things that this passage spoke to my heart on. And let me say this. These 10 things are not the conclusive 10 things. In fact, it would bring me no greater joy if you and your families or you and your disciple-making communities would go and find 100 more things about this text. Let God's word speak and convict you exactly where you are at. It's not just the conclusive 10, nor would I like this to be the conclusive conversation. 
I promise we won't cover it all in the next 30 minutes. So just as the gospel sounded forth in chapter one, maybe this could just be the sermon that does not end. No, we'll end at 6.15 tonight. I'm saying that you will go. You will go forth with your kids, with your spouse, with trusted friends, with the world, and you will continue with humble confidence this important conversation. So if you're taking notes, you can expect 10 things. And here we go. Number one. The first two verses, they show that the plan of God reveals the patience of God. He could have started this a lot of ways, and I just think it's a grace gift how he did. And it's subtle. You see, he already has, to- he has already told these Thessalonians These men and women who he loves, who he's seen the work of the gospel change their heart and change their lives. They have accomplished the dreams in Macedonia that that he originally felt called to. They have been the ones that have been disciple makers. And yet when he met with them, he felt it important enough to address their sexual ethics. And now again, this subtle grace gift that he would say, hey, I can only imagine that as you're growing, You're also being attacked. So I'm going to continue to encourage you more and more. Number one, the plan of God reveals the patience of God. Number two, from verse three, the will of God is, drum roll, anytime you read the will of God is something, that should be the moment you hear the highlighters And you should lean in, you should highlight, you should say, what is the will of God for my life? When it comes to Christian ethics, here it is. The will of God is our sanctification. Now this is a word that if you grew up in church, if you've been around kind of the the circles of faith, you've probably heard before. In the New Testament, there's actually a few words that are used to describe this big word sanctification. We're going to do a little little Greek grammar lesson here. They're both really fun to say. Here's the first one. Say it with me. Metamorphumathe. Go. Just go for it. Just like spit into your mask and just have fun with it. Metamorphumathe. Yeah, metamorphumathe. You can hear the word in it. Metamorphosis. That's where we get our word. It comes from that uh, 2 Corinthians 3 idea. You might remember the passage that for those who behold God, that they are transformed, they are metamorphosized from one degree, one measurable degree to the next. It's a word relating to sanctification or transformation that actually emphasizes the process. And this is good to know. This is not this word. I think it's a companion of this word. I think it's a parallel train track to this word, but it's a different word. This word is hagiosmos. Say it with me. Hagiosmos. It sounds like you're ordering a Philly cheesesteak with extra onions, right? I'll take a hagiosmos. Hold the mustard. Hagiosmos is an emphasis on completion. There's still growth. There's still more and more that he refers to earlier. But it is a picture of completion, and the completion of sanctification is this. It is your holiness. 
We're going to talk more about this in a little bit. It is you living as set apart. It is God calling the people of God to be holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be hagiosmos, to be holy as God is holy, set apart. The will of God, number two, the will of God is your sanctification. That we would view the world, our expectations would be a set apart one. Number three, here is what we are to be set apart on. Here is what we are to grow in. Sexual immorality. Sex is a big part of the Christian faith. The Christian orthodox view of God's plan for human sexuality stated in Genesis Exodus, Mark, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. It's spoken by God, repeated by the prophets, reiterated by Jesus, celebrated by the disciples, quoted by Paul, and I will share it tomorrow at a wedding in Gravit. Is that a man and a woman, totally different, they see the world different, They spend their off time different. They brush their teeth different. That these two completely opposites will leave their father and mother also who are completely opposites. And in God's beautiful reconciling work, these two shall become one. That a man and a woman shall come together is the Christian orthodox view of God's plan for our sexuality. God's purpose for sexual intercourse is not just procreation. It's not just having kids. It's not just recreation. It's not just for our pleasure. God's primary purpose for sexual intercourse is unification. It is the two becoming one flesh. God's design for sexuality, which goes way beyond just gender, is primarily for reflection of his full image. So it's not just, our sexuality is not just natural. It is a divine expression of a part of the image of God, which is holy and good. Therefore, it takes both male and female, these two opposites, coming together as one to properly image God to the world. In a very good conversation, many conversations with a friend of mine, uh, we were discussing this book. It's called Unwanted. Probably, in my opinion, one of the best books that you can read about this topic. I strongly recommend it. And as we were talking about it, my good friend said this. Uh, Let me read it to you as it comes on the screen. When we are engaged in or we're harmed by another's sinful sexual behavior, it is not simply the opposite of sex. It is the enemy of sex. It is against what God intended in its sacredness. And I know right now, In the room, there are people on a spectrum of backgrounds coming in with a spectrum of wounds, a spectrum of baggage. That here the two shall become one and it triggers something. That read this 
quote about this fantastic book and you read that sacredness of what God intended and you are already trying to organize and figure that out. I know that there's the single person, whether you're a single who have not been married or a single who once was, and you're wounded and you're waiting. Many of who have been shaped, shaped in your arousal instincts based off screens. You know, the recent statistic is that one of the biggest marital issues right now is that we develop preferences for screens over the real thing in sex. I know there's those here that struggle with same-sex attraction. And I sympathize with you. I'm with you as I know that you need, you long for intimacy just like everybody else. Rightly so. Yet, so often, these tangible sex urges lead to a deconstruction of theology. Doing away with what scripture says so that we can justify urges. I know there's married strugglers in the room that come in with shame wounds. Why? Because the wedding magazine marriage is not just what it was advertised to be. I know that many of you have reached your boiling point. Because the words fall short of the glory of God don't just apply to you, it applies to a marriage. And it feels like it's falling short of something. And I know there's so many more in this spectrum. I think that we could all agree, though, that we all, for those who believe and then confess in Jesus, we all have a choice of a covenant relationship of intimacy with Jesus. Yet so many, because we lack that intimacy with God, we lack that intimacy with others, we replace it with this ideology in the world that our bodies are just pleasure machines. Throw in there a little dose of culture that says freedom for whatever you think or believe. And all of a sudden, here's what our theology becomes. Your happiness is primary. And when you worship your happiness, you make yourself God. So aren't you thankful that in that whole mess, Paul is going to go from what to how? He's actually going to tell us how we do it. He's going to tell us how we respond. Here's number four of ten, coming from verse four. His prayer that we would know how to control our body. Now, a month ago, when I was first time reading this again for the millionth time, but first time as a student knowing I was going to teach on it, the number one question I wrote down to this text was, ugh, I wonder if we know how. And then I turned and thought, do I know how? Do I know how to control? I remember back when I was 12. That was the year that in the Newman house, we had the man weekend. Where we would go and dad would bring his cassette tapes. And there was like a a liturgy where he'd pull it off the high shelf and he'd... Blow the dust off it. And he said, let's go camping. We drive two hours listening to cassette tapes about sex. If you don't know what cassette tapes are, ask your parents. 
I remember like it was yesterday walking out and my older two brothers saying, he's leaving a boy and he'll come back with a mustache. I was like, no, I won't. And I got in the car and we weren't 10 minutes from our house when dad put the first cassette tape in and you can maybe guess what happened. That high squealing (laughs) happened and pulled out the tape and all of the like, stringy stuff came with it and I had my first God encounter with prayer saying thank you God I don't have to listen to the sex tapes it's unfortunate that the 80s and 90s if that's the era that you grew up in it's been labeled the shame or the 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 purity or shame culture we're talking about sex was awkward it was hard So rather, if there was an effeminate character, a Disney princess or prince that just was a little bit different, we just vetoed watching Disney. It's over. And we're not going to Disney either. Hey, if you parented in the 80s or 90s, let me encourage you. You did not invent, nor did you master the shame culture. That culture was born at the fall. In Genesis 3, the second that that sin entered the world and they saw their nakedness, what were they? They were ashamed. They hid from God. They hid from each other. They hid from their purpose. They were exposed in their sexuality. That shame has existed from the beginning. You know, there's one uh, translation, probably the most literal Greek translation of this control your body is possess your vessel. That you would possess his vessel is is how it would be said. And one really respected commentator, uh, I was really surprised to see this sentence that he wrote about possessing his vessel. He said, therefore, the answer to the sexual issue is simply get married and have great sex. And I just went like, what? What? Surely that's not what Paul was intending. Two reasons. One, not only was Paul single, but Paul encouraged singleness for the sake of ministry and God devotion. Margin for intentionally serving the Lord. But then second, lust and immorality doesn't cease at marriage still exist. The issues are still real. So if you're single in the room, if you're a virgin in the room, hoping for marriage someday, let me just give you a little advice. Married sex will not solve your sexuality struggles. No, instead Paul gives us some very clear guidelines. He says the first way that we control our body, this is number five, is in holiness. We control it in holiness. There's that word again. Holiness in the Old Testament is known as dangerous yet beautiful. It was set apart. One example would be the way that they described the Sabbath day. See, the Sabbath day, they said, keep it holy. Keep it set apart. There's seven days. There's six days that look like this. This day should look different. So there's instructions that we should remember the Sabbath day. We should observe the Sabbath day. I think it's interesting. It's the only spiritual discipline that's actually commanded in the Ten Commandments. Keep it. Keep it holy. 
uniquely designed for rest and worship. And almost in the same way, we are meant to control our bodies, set apart, totally different purpose. And expectations are everything, aren't they? The first step of knowing how to control our body is that our expectations would be our sexuality is set apart from culture. It is set apart from the world. Set apart even from our own urges. I love so often in these complicated subjects, the psalmist, they just, they see the target and they hit the bullseye. Listen to how the psalmist said it. In 73, verse 21 and 22, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Then the next word, it just rings with like glory. It says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Even though just a moment ago I was a beast, driven only by my urges, falling apart inside, brutish and ignorant, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Friends, because of Jesus, each of us, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, is welcomed into a holiness, a set-apart identity. And everyone is given the privilege to respond, to choose to live set-apart. Number five is in holiness. Number six is in honor. We control our bodies in honor. What does in honor mean? Does your mind go to a salute or to duty or to legalism or, or maybe hiding or maybe that old family talk of we don't talk about our stuff to the world because that's our stuff? Is that honor for you? That same friend I was having a conversation and he opened up his heart about some of his past and he told me you know when he was eight years old he found his dad's porn stash randomly placed underneath the kid's Halloween costume box so at eight when he was going to look for his little Spider-Man box he stumbled upon a whole world he didn't know And as King Solomon in the Song of Solomon says, love was awakened too early. Shame upon shame has been compressed for 40 years. What do you do? What do you do in this moment? Maybe many of you right now, you're going back to that little five-year-old, eight-year-old, 12-year-old self, and you say, what do I do? I have no idea what to do. I had this conversation with a counselor referencing this text, and they said, you know, Matt, here's the answer. Honor is in honesty. You don't fix anything. You bring honor to the situation by bringing honesty to the situation. That promise from 1 John that if you confess your sins, confess it vertically to God, horizontally to a brother or sister, a trusted friend, You will be forgiven and you will be healed. But it comes through honesty that that honor happens. And I know what you're feeling because I feel it right now too. That angst of like, no, it's the lie that if I keep it tight, if I keep it protected, if if I guard this truth, then nobody will ever know. But really all that lie leads to is that you will never experience 
the beauty of honor in this area. You know, I'm in my second step study right now. And I experience the same thing every single time. If you've never been in a step study, you do an introduction. And every single time we go around the circle and every time I'm equally nervous, am I really about to tell these knuckleheads my darkest secrets? Here we go. And you start with the identity of God. Then your struggles. And then your name. Week after week, honesty leads to honor. Psalms 90 says, you have set our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see it? The honor of God is not to say, it's not that big a deal. The honor of God does not say, just stop it. Just stop that yuckiness. The honor of God says, put it in the light of my presence and I'll make it new. Number seven, first holiness, then honor. Number seven says in verse five, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. The third way that we control our bodies is by knowing God. Now, even as I start that, heed my caution. This is not do God stuff and lust stuff will go away. We've all heard that so many times and we've built shame principles in our life because of that. I know that there are women here right now who had a quiet time this morning and by the afternoon you were looked at in a sexually explicit way that either aroused you or shamed you. And the enemy attacks you just like the enemy attacks me when we struggle with our sexual urges or instincts or temptations. Remember those four questions from the identity to action chart? Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What do I do? When I feel that temptation and that yuck and that hurt and that... All those beast instincts that Psalm 73 was talking about, it affects my identity. And then it starts to erode and break down and put cracks in my theology. I start to doubt who I am in Christ. And yet the answer is knowing God. The stop point, the change point, the U-turn point is knowing God. Growing deeper in love. And knowledge of God is the answer. That same Psalm 73. I was brutish. I was ignorant. I was a beast. Listen to how it ends. My flesh and my heart may fail. Here's the grace. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. That I may tell all of your works. So that's how we control our body. But he's not going to leave us there. He's actually going to point out the landmines. He's going to say, just like he did with the Thessalonians, I know I've told you once, but I'm going to come and I'm going to remind you again and again. The plan of God comes with the patience of God. And he's going to say, here's going to be the landmines. Prepare yourself. And he gives us three to close it out. This is eight, nine, and ten. Number eight, he talks about transgressing. We're called to move forward, to be sanctified, but there's always this threat of falling back. And I think it's really interesting. He ties transgressing to wronging his brother. Now, I don't know about you, but so often when I struggle with my own sexual issues and sexual sin, I'm not thinking about my brother. I'm just thinking about me because me is my theology at that moment. But here's what the text tells us. I think one of the lies of sexual struggles is that you are a solo struggler. 
It's that little voice that says, I'm the only one dealing with this. Therefore, I'm not hurting anybody. And therefore, it's my burden to carry. Rather, friends, like one married partner hurts when the other one is struggling, the church hurts with you as fellow strugglers. That's why the only way to find growth and progress in this area is to find a band of brothers, a band of sisters to gather around you to be your stretcher bearers when your legs don't work anymore, when you're hurting, when you're broken. He warns us that we will transgress. He also, in verse 6, he warns us of a quality of God that's important to read. That we would have the fear of God for he is an avenger. Now, the last time that you were tempted in any way sexually, I bet your theology drove you away from God. That was the closest you've been to an atheist in your last month. But this reminder is that God is an avenger. Now, don't geek out on all like Marvel superhero characters and stuff. That's not what he's talking about. This is an Old Testament term. It's an idea that God is an avenger of evil that is done to others. And ultimately, this avenging will take place when Jesus returns. Not just earth, earthly consequences to our immorality. There is eternal, heavenly consequences. For we must all stand before God. One of the realities as we deal with our sexual struggles, we will stand before God. And that which was done in the flesh will be on display for Jesus. To pay for at the cross, but to be known and to be dealt with. And then here's the last one, number 10. From verse 8, it uses the word that we would not disregard this. Now, if there's one within our culture, our polarized culture right now, I think it is this one. It says that we wouldn't just disregard man, we are actually disregarding God. This is a big deal in our polarizing day and age. I bet it's easy for you to hear this entire, these top 10 lists, these verses, these, these, these oh, that's just your position. That's just your, that's just your idea. That's not how it works for me. I'm actually doing really well with whatever script I wrote for myself. That's what would be called disregarding what God says. And I would just humbly respond, if that's your opinion, that you're just going to not heed what is in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the command of God who established his terms of holiness by God. And when we trespass and when we fall back and when we disregard, sent his son Jesus, grace upon grace more and more to heal us from that trespass. Uh, you know, this, this night was designed to just deal with the text pretty literally. But then it was also to respond very vulnerably. And no, we're not going to like say, hey, we have people lined up here for you to confess every little thing that you want to talk about. Although, we're willing to hear and be with you in it. No, what we thought is to say, you know what? This is a night for communion. This is a night to be reminded of what Jesus did. 
Paul goes back to the Thessalonians and he says, hey, I know you're dealing with this, even though there's certain things that are going great. More and more, I want to push you to Christ. I think one of my own issues, I'm sure it might be yours too, is I come to communion like I come to a car wash. I'm like, oh, I'm dirty. I got to get it clean. So I'm clean, I can be impressive again. Friends, in Christ, you have been made clean. Communion is a reminder of the body and of the blood, of the sacrifice for past, present, and future sins that even when you trespass, even when you lack a fear of God, even when you disregard and become a basically atheist in your sin, avoiding God and his conviction, that he welcomes us back, that we can return to his table and say, he is the answer. In holiness and honor and knowing him, he is the answer. And so as you take out the bread and hold it and you heed my instruction to pop the top a little bit away from you so it doesn't splatter on you once again, we're gonna sing together and I would ask that you just take it. I'm sorry, that you just hold it. Don't take it, just hold it. (laughs) And just like Psalms 90 said, that our sins put at the feet of Jesus in the light of his presence. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you're gonna be encouraged to just say, hey, take that sin, that baggage, those wounds that we all have of our sexuality and lay them in the light of Jesus' presence with the promise that in confessing your sin, you will be healed. And let's sing those promises together.
stand with us?
The Gospels tell us that Jesus gathered around him his band of brothers, men that with all of their issues, all of their problems, I'm sure that sexual issues were a part of it. Men that he had to teach how to be vulnerable. And he said, I'm about to go away and I'm gonna send my spirit, but here it is right now. Every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, it's an opportunity to remember the sacrifice, the grace bought at the cross for you and for I. And so now we do just like the disciples did that day as we take in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, Son of God, sent to save the worst of sinners, which I am the most. And with a spectrum of God's seekers in the room right now, Jesus, make yourself beautifully tangible. Make vulnerability and honesty and repentance uh, so desirable that we savor it and that we seek its intimacy with God even more than our own urges or our own needs. We set you before us. Hey, before you're dismissed, let me just lovingly encourage. I know in the room right now, there's those struggling with a heterosexual lifestyle, those struggling with a homosexual lifestyle, those struggling in singleness, those struggling in marriage, those struggling as widowed, those struggling as divorced. And I want you to know it's in passages and times like this, I've I've never been more grateful for for a community, a church body that values something like all is broken and yet all matter and only one gets the glory. And this is a place in partnership with Celebrate Recovery, with Mosaic, that that we are here with you as your fellow stretcher bearers, inviting you to come, all of yourself, all of your broken mess, to take one step towards Jesus together. So know that. and, and, And as you leave Know that we are here with all of our resources and all of our time to love you, to give you avenues towards disciple-making communities, avenue towards step studies, avenues in prayer. We would love to see you take that next step towards Jesus. Just a reminder, as you're dismissed out the side doors, we'd love for you to congregate. Just do it right, do it well, and do it outside. Okay? We love you, Mosaic. Thanks for being here. Have a great night.